0: From the Jennifer and Ted Stanley Studios in Boston, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. 2013 could launch the era of climate action for the Obama administration if we're to take the rhetoric seriously. In January, as the president stood on the steps of the Capitol to be sworn in for a second term, he put the climate challenge front and center. And most recently, in his State of the Union address, the president laid out more details and connected the dangers of climate instability to recent extreme weather.
1: It's true that no single event makes a trend. But the fact is, the 12 hottest years on record have all come in the last 15. Heat waves, droughts, wildfires, floods, all are now more frequent and more intense. We can choose to believe that Superstorm Sandy and and the most severe drought in decades and the worst wildfires some states have ever seen. were all just a freak coincidence. Or we can choose to believe in the overwhelming judgment of science and act before it's too late.
0: We turn to 2 seasoned observers of science and climate policy for some perspective. Environmental law professor Ann Carlson is a co-director at the Emmett Center on Climate Change at UCLA. And first, here's Kevin Knobloch. He's president of the Union of Concerned Scientists.
2: What he's doing in in, in talking about the impacts is connecting to the millions of Americans who now are experiencing climate impacts and the costly destruction of of climate impacts. You know, if you're a gardener or a hiker or a carpenter who works outdoors, you you already are observing and connecting the dots between climate-influenced weather events and climate change. And so the president is simply tapping into that and reminding many other Americans that this thing is real.
0: So the president says that this is happening. He says that people see that this is happening. Realistically, is there any chance of Congress getting together and saying that this is happening and that action uh, should happen now based on the science?
2: I thought it was a brilliant stroke that the president called on Congress and cited Senator John McCain and Senator Joe Lieberman's earlier work in trying to move a comprehensive climate bill through the Congress, uh, because it is the Congress's responsibility to respond to an urgent problem like this. He then said, if Congress won't act, I will.
0: So, Professor Carlson, you're a lawyer that looks closely at environmental law, so tell us, what can the president do on his own if the Congress doesn't act?
3: The most expansive power he has is under the Clean Air Act. And he's used that in two respects. One, to ratchet up fuel efficiency standards to really quite dramatic levels going forward. And the second thing he's doing is he's issuing regulations that are actually required under a court decision called Massachusetts versus EPA, to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from new and existing coal-fired power plants and other utilities. He's also got power to, for example, use his procurement power to have his agencies purchasing green vehicles, um, to get the Defense Department, as it already has, focused on the development of renewable power. He's done a fair amount on federal lands in getting the siting of renewable facilities to produce renewable energy through more quickly. So he's not only already done a lot, but continues to have a fair amount of power.
0: I noted that in his speech he certainly suggested he would continue to push renewable energy uh, to keep up with China, among other things. Is there enough energy in the renewable energy program the president has laid out so far, uh, Kevin Nabla?
2: Yes. Here's the interesting thing about what's happening with renewable energy in this country. Not only is it growing rapidly, but it's driving manufacturing growth, American manufacturing growth. So in 2005, the percentage of wind towers, turbines, gearboxes installed in this country, made in this country, was 35%. Today it's 70%. So in through this deep recession, this is one of the few growing areas of american manufacturing and that has everything to do with uh... state policies and federal policies and investments to drive renewable energy
3: so here's a place where congress really has cooperated with the president although on a short-term basis is in passing and extending the production tax credit which really is one of the reasons why renewable energy has continued to grow throughout the recession one of the things that the president, I think, is trying to do in a State of the Union and speaking directly to Congress is to suggest that there may be areas where Congress can agree with the president on ways to stimulate new energy innovation, potentially to stimulate research and development, without actually tackling the larger question of an overall national climate policy.
0: Now, elsewhere in the speech, he said he plans to cut red tape and speed up oil and gas permits. So do you see that as an olive branch, maybe to the fossil fuel industry or heartland Democrats?
3: I think Obama's energy policy all along has been to focus heavily on domestic energy sources, not always renewable ones. And I think some of that is political. I think some of it is economic reality. There's a huge boom in uh, the drilling of natural gas. And I think it's something that no president can ignore. Natural gas prices have fallen really dramatically. And trying to encourage that has a couple of consequences, one of which is positive in the short run for climate change, and that is that natural gas is displacing coal, which is a much more carbon intensive fuel than natural gas and so in the short term that's really led to a reduction in emissions and that's not a bad thing to encourage in the long run if we're really to accomplish the kinds of climate goals that scientists believe are necessary to significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions we're gonna have to move away from natural gas as well or figure out how to do something with the emissions that natural gas and coal generate by sequestering them into the ground or something that doesn't release them into the atmosphere
2: now the low low price of natural gas also is creating some competition and stress for cleaner, renewable energy, and and we we have to be mindful about that.
0: The president's uh, plans, though, to speed up oil and gas uh, permits, uh, does it raise any red flags, uh, Kevin Knobloch? Uh, Does it say anything about the approval of the Keystone XL pipeline, for example?
2: The Keystone XL pipeline, which would transport dirty oil from the uh, so-called tar sands uh, sites up in Canada through the, the vertical length of this country, uh, down to our export ports in in Texas, really has become an emblem among people worried about climate change. In great part because we don't have a comprehensive policy in this country, a, a declining cap on carbon and other heat-trapping emissions within which to consider these projects. So what's happening now, whether it's it's this pipeline proposed pipeline, or uh, efforts to uh, open up uh, coal export ports in 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 state of washington uh, is that is that people across this country who are worried about climate change the pace of change and the role of fossil fuels in in driving and accelerating it um, stepping up and opposing these projects our sense is that that we we need to get a comprehensive policy in place that rapidly drives down greenhouse gas emissions and gives us a fighting chance to hold off catastrophic changes until then, there's likely to be a pitched battle over every major pipeline or coal export that becomes a symbol of us turning a blind eye to what the burning of fossil fuels is doing to the ability of this planet to sustain life. Professor?
3: So I think the Keystone XL question raises a really important question that is mostly avoided in the State of the Union, but I think we're really going to need to focus on as well, and that is that The United States can't go it alone on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And as we do things like focus on domestic natural gas, uh, the rest of the world is still heavily dependent upon coal. And in fact, things like ports that Kevin mentioned to export coal simply mean that we could shift a lot of the emissions away from the domestic economy and Um, to the global economy. And one of the problems of that is that overall our greenhouse gas emissions aren't reduced. So one of the really interesting and important questions will be the degree to which Secretary of State Kerry, for example, makes the uh, goal of reducing international global emissions central to his mission diplomatically.
0: So the president proposed to use um, federal oil and gas revenues to fund what he calls an energy security trust. And he said that this would drive research and uh, shift our cars and trucks off of oil for good. Let's hear a bit of that tape.
1: Tonight I propose we use some of our oil and gas revenues to fund an energy security trust that will drive new research and technology to shift our cars and trucks off oil for good. If a nonpartisan coalition of CEOs and retired generals and admirals can get behind this idea, then so can we. Let's take their advice and free our families and businesses from the painful spikes in gas prices we put up with for far too long.
2: It's a powerful vision. It's, it's really the kind of presidential leadership that you look to a president for, to set a, a, an ambitious long-term vision that helps solve a range of problems. The, uh, the trust fund is, is an intriguing idea. It would create revenues for research on hydrogen fuel cell and battery electric vehicles, along with low-carbon biofuels. Uh, and so on, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed signal to uh, draw the revenues from oil and gas drilling on public lands, but uh, there may actually be uh, an exquisite partnership there.
3: I think one of the things that might be a place where you can get bipartisan agreement is to fund research into technology and innovation. Uh, That seems to be less controversial than, for example, regulating carbon emissions or putting a price on carbon by imposing either a tax or a cap-and-trade scheme. So I think that this is a place where maybe he can get some bipartisan agreement. I don't know whether he'll get it out of those particular revenues. I would also add that I think the push to... Move our automobile fleet away from conventional gasoline and to electricity and to other fuels that do not emit carbon is an absolutely necessary move if we're to reduce our carbon emissions in the way that scientists think we need to over the course of the next 30 or 40 years. It's a long-term strategy, but it's a strategy we've got to begin now.
0: The president to do all this needs a team. Most of his green team has left. The uh, Secretary of Energy is moving on, Secretary of the Interior, the Administrator of the EPA, um, the leader of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, all these folks uh, have left the administration. Why do you think such a turnover um, in the green team for the president if he's making such a new commitment here?
3: The turnover, to me, seems to be just the natural result of having served for four years, a very intensive four years, and not in any way a statement about whether the people who are leaving have a commitment to the president's agenda going forward. And I trust that he will find equally impressive replacements for all of those very talented and extremely qualified um, public servants. So it doesn't concern me that there's turnover. It just seems like the natural turnover at the end of a first term
0: quick last comment on a new administration member, John Kerry, Secretary of State. The XL Pipeline decision first goes through the Department of State. Uh, as a senator, uh, John Kerry sponsored uh, really strong legislation, didn't pass on climate. How do you think having Mr. Kerry at state is going to affect something like the Pipeline decision? Kevin Nubla
2: There's been no stronger leader on climate action in the Congress than Senator Kerry. I think we should have every reason to expect he'll bring that leadership into his role as, as Secretary of State. The most important thing is that the the environmental impact assessment that the State Department is, is conducting on the uh, Keystone Pipeline take into account climate change and climate impacts. Uh, any serious environmental assessment of climate impacts of this pipeline will show that it would have a very significant harm.
3: The only thing that I would add is that The Secretary of State is going to play a key role in upcoming negotiations to try to extend the Kyoto Protocol and to get the international community really committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And I think the signal it sends to have somebody who is such a strong senator on climate, now leading the State Department, is really, really important. And he's got an opportunity here to signal to the rest of the world that the United States is serious about reducing its own emissions and to getting the global community to follow suit.
0: Kevin Knobloch is president of the Union of Concerned Scientists, and Ann Carlson is professor of environmental law at UCLA. Thank you both.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Steve.